Praise the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? So nice to see so many uh, faces this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. And before I start this morning, this is a heavy verse, but um, I was, um, you know, I got this message this morning at about 1230, and uh, I've learned over the years to be very patient and really wait uh, for the right word from the Lord and not the one that I necessarily think I'm going to preach, but just being patient and saying, Lord, what is it? What is that word? And... um, and this morning I could see a, um, I could see somebody that loved the Lord and loves the Lord. And I could see him running full force to the Lord. And, uh, this morning when I heard that song, I'm running, I'm running to your arms. Uh, the riches of your love will always be enough. Um, it confirmed in my spirit that this is the right word this morning that the Lord gave me. And I could just see that picture this morning. And so this message will end um, with that. It'll be that person running back to the Lord and running after the Lord and and that draw that the Lord has on a person's heart. And uh, so just bear with me because this is a very um, heavy verse to start with, but that's where we'll end. I don't usually give the end at the beginning. I usually like to have a cliffhanger, you know, I like, I like everybody, I like the mystery, but uh, just, just know that's how it'll end today. Um, it says, it's Revelation 18.4, <clears throat> this is from the NIV and I'll read a couple of versions of it. It says, then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Uh, let's go uh, New Living Translation. Then I heard another voice calling from heaven. Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins or you will be punished with her. Uh, King James, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and receive any of her plagues. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you, um, uh, Lord, that you would speak, Lord, as a loving Father, and um, Lord, that you would draw with your own love. You said it is your your mercy, Lord, that uh, draws us, Lord, your compassion, your love, and uh, Lord, I just pray that you would draw people to yourself uh, today, Lord, that you would hide me and just um, completely conceal me away, Lord God, and let your message i uh, be heard today, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for your message for the right time and the right hour, Lord. Uh, you're always faithful. And Lord, we thank you for it today. And, and everybody says, Amen. Hallelujah. Um, so, this is a scripture in the Bible. In fact, you go to the context of that scripture. Uh, Revelation 18.1, it says, And I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority. The earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She, meaning Babylon, has become a dwelling for demons 
a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. Kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out from her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you may not receive any of the plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. So I want you to think about the seriousness of the um, warning. Uh, this is the toward the end of the book of Revelation. And so this is the culmination, this is the final judgment of the wicked in Revelation. And he's putting an end to all rebellion. And so it's at the very end, but this has always been there. How many know that? Babylon, uh, that spirit of Babylon has always been there from the very beginning. And uh, we're going to look at who Babylon is and what she is and, and what she's all about. And uh, But the real key thing to remember is that God is telling us to be very careful here. He's saying, come out from her. Uh, don't be associated with her. Don't be with her. Because I'm about to do the final judgment of sin. It's piled up to heaven. And I've allowed it to go on for a long time. How many see this? What God's doing here. I've allowed this for a very long time. And now here's the culmination of it. And uh, one last chance. Just come away from her. And come out of her. And leave Babylon. In fact, the title of my message is Getting Out of Babylon. And uh, so what I want to talk about today is how do you get out of Babylon? And it's amazingly simple how to get out of Babylon. But simple doesn't always mean easy, but it is very, very simple. And uh, so let's look at it right now. What is Babylon? Uh, Babylon, uh, very short, is a, uh, it's a metaphor, it's a spiritual uh, analogy to a certain city. And it's not the actual city, because the actual city is in Iraq, and if you begin to look at the Bible, in fact, in um, I lost my reference here, but I think it's Genesis 11, you see the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is actually in the location uh, where the eventual city of Babylon is. And um, to put it very simply, Babylon is just the origination of extreme rebellion against God. It was the beginning of being rebellious against God, and it kind of was the epicenter of it. In fact, uh, Nimrod, uh, they say, was able to gather uh, the whole world together in one place as a world ruler, and he was able to basically lead them in rebellion against God. And so it was the beginning of that rebellion. And so as you look at Genesis eleven nine. 9... Uh, you see that God actually came down. In fact, the Godhead came down. They said, hey, let's, let us go look and see what they're doing here. And so they look and they notice and they see that the whole world is gathered together speaking one language and they were together being led in rebellion against God. 
And so God confounded their language. He confused it. In fact, the word Babel means confusion. And he, and he confused them and he spread them out and, 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 and basically spread them across the, the whole world and, uh, confounded their languages. And so you see the origination of different languages. And then as we go on, we see, uh, Daniel, uh, in the prophets, uh, he has a vision of four different kingdoms. He has a vision of the Babylonian kingdom, which is the first and a great, incredible kingdom. Uh, the second kingdom was the Persians who displaced uh, the Babylonians. Then we see the Greeks, and then we see the Romans. And so the first is the Babylonian, the last is the Roman Empire of the four beasts that he's seen. And so we see in Babylon, um, Daniel 3, 1 to 7, he says, All the people, nations, and languages were commanded to worship Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. How many remember this? He gathered all these nations together. It's a world empire. I mean, it was a huge empire. I think there were 150 different nations that were um, pulled together in, in Nebuchadnezzar's empire. It was the first really great, great empire was Nebuchadnezzar. And it came together very quickly, and it was very large. And um, so we see this um, rebellion uh, is just deposited in this Babylon this, this actual city. And the reason why I say it's not the city anymore, because Revelation uh, was written in the 90s AD, and Babylon ceased to exist in the 500s BC. So this, land, this nation had already been destroyed by the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. And so that empire was gone. And so God is now saying... Um, Come out from Babylon. So we know it's not Babylon of old. So what is this spiritual Babylon that we're being commanded? How many think that Revelation and all of the plagues, as they call it in this verse, are like a terrible thing? I mean, when those things come upon the earth, we don't want uh, to be a part of that judgment. He's saying, come out from among them. You know, so you don't have to take part in her plagues. Uh, God doesn't want us to be a part of that. God wants us to come out from among that. And so Babylon, if it isn't the city, it's got to mean something. You know, it's got to have a meaning to it of what we are to come out of, and we have to also have to be aware, how do I do it? Don't you think so? I mean... How do I come out of it and how do I do it? Because let's say it's a geographical place. Now, if it were a geographical place and I had to come out of this wicked place and I'm in the United States, how many think the United States is a wicked place? I, w- I would say in a lot of ways it is. Where do I go? Do I go to Mexico? Do I go to Canada? If I'm in China, where do I go? United States? See my problem here. So geography is not what they're talking about here. They're talking about the original rebellion uh, and the original society and the original civilization that is totally opposed to God. And so as you begin to look at Babylon... 
this language in Revelation is actually being quoted from the Old Testament. Because there was a time in the Old Testament in Isaiah and Jeremiah where God was actually commanding them, come out from among her. He was commanding them. In fact, some of the scriptures here, Isaiah 21, 9, Babylon, Babylon is fallen. All of the carved images of her gods have been broken to the ground. This is Isaiah prophesying that the same Babylon that's going to destroy Israel, God will immediately judge right after that. God was using Babylon to judge his people for their good. And we'll get into that in a minute. Then he goes into Jeremiah 50 verse 2, Declare among the nations, proclaim, set up a standard, proclaim and do not conceal it, say Babylon is taken. It is shame, Bell is shamed, Merodach is broken into pieces, her idols are humiliated, her images are broken into pieces. Do you see that God in Jeremiah 50 is directly, in every one of these verses, he's directly attacking their, attacking their spiritual Godhead. You know, this is pagan worship. And so he's attacking what they did to Israel with their pagan worship. Israel took on the characteristics of Babylon. And then he says in um, Isaiah 1, listen to this. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's kind of long, but this is the foundation of why God allowed Babylon to take them captive. It says, This vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. He says, Hear me. You heavens, listen, you earth. The Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up. Well, that's interesting. Do you know God reared children and brought them up? That's a fascinating picture, isn't it? What happened to his children? He said the ox knows its master. The donkey knows its its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a broad of evildoers, children given to corruption. They've forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. They turn their back on Him. Wow. So God has given us a picture of what's happening in Israel at this time. Why should why should you be beaten anymore? Why should you persist in rebellion? There's that word. That's Babylon. Rebellion. Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness in you, only welts and wounds and open sores. Not cleansed or bandaged or not soothed with olive oil. You see how wounded they are? Beaten they are, broken They are as a nation right now. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners. Right before you, it's laid waste as overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in the vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, rulers of Sodom. Listen to God's instruction to you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. 
I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come appear before me, who asks this of you? This trampling of my court, stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me, new moon, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate them with all of my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Sometimes you just want to say, say what you think. You know, God doesn't hold back, does he? But let's just understand what's happening here. They opened the door for Babylon. They were, through this whole period, God is very descriptive about what they're doing. They're doing all the things the nations around them did. And let's understand very clearly what the nations around them were doing. Um, God's Ten Commandments, God's law that was written, was written so that they wouldn't behave like the pagan nations. And so everything that was going on around them, the worship of the pagans are very interesting. How many know that uh, from the Babylonian culture through the Persian, the Greek, and the Roman culture, um, it was sexually immoral behavior? That was their worship. Um, it was um, It was adultery, it was fornication, it was homosexuality, it was all of those things were part of their spiritual worship. And wine and drugs were part of the spiritual worship. How many know that? Um, If you study it very deeply, that's what you're going to find. And that's what the nations around them were doing. And Israel was doing the same things the nations around them were doing. And because of that, they were also trying to worship God. And God was saying, look, uh, I don't want it anymore. Um, You Basically, God felt like it was almost like fornication. To him, spiritual fornication. They were going to these other gods and they were worshiping these other gods and then still trying to halfway say, God, we love you too. Hey, you're part of the, (laughs) you know, this too, you know. And, uh, but what they did was they ended up basically telling God that we want what the world has to offer. And you know what God does when you say we want what the world has to offer? He says, okay. And the Bible says that he gave them over to their desires. In Romans 1, he says, I just gave them over because that's what they wanted. And so when they were overtaken by the Babylonians, it was because that was what they were interested in. That was their passion. That was what they wanted. And so God just removed himself from the picture. And the Bible says the glory of God departed from Israel. And they called it Ichabod. The glory of God just left and nobody noticed. They said, you can have what you want. And so now, I don't think we fully understand what happened when they went to Babylon. It wasn't just the city, the entire world was under the power of the Babylonians. And the Babylonian culture very much was, 
do whatever you want. You'll do whatever you want. It was a world of pleasure. It was a world of uh, anything goes. It was a world of wealth. And so when the children of Israel went into that world, in a lot of ways they were probably excited because the temple was destroyed. We don't have that binding us anymore. We don't have that, you know, restraint anymore of the temple. And how many think when they first went into Babylon, there were a lot of them that were like, this isn't too bad. No more God. And so they fully went into that world. And in Revelation, just to give you an idea, um, you go through here and um, we're in Revelation 18.4, but the Bible says, um, i got to figure out my notes here. You go into Revelation 12 and it starts talking about this great dragon. Revelation 12.9 says the dragon is who? It says that it's Satan. Remember reading this in Revelation? And then it says in Revelation 13.2, it says that there are beasts there. The first and the second beast. And it says the first beast was given his power, his throne, and his great authority in Revelation 13.2 from Satan himself. Don't you think that's interesting? Satan is giving power, authority, and thrones to people. Then you go down to Revelation 13, 11, it says a second beast resembled a lamb, spoke like a dragon, exercised the same authority as the first beast, caused everyone on earth to worship the first beast. So who's everybody on earth worshiping? Satan. Then we go on a little further in Revelation 13, and it says, all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they followed the dragon who gave authority to the beast. That's kind of just thrown in there. So they worshiped the dragon. Who's the dragon? Who gave authority to the beast. So the whole world, by what time we get to the end, is worshiping the dragon who gave power to the beast, which is Satan. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. Um, of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so we see this, this beast, um, the second beast, it says this in Revelation 17, it says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls and having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and it was the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was written a name, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And uh, what I'm getting at here is that this Babylon is covering the whole earth by the end. I mean, we're living in a system where the whole world is bowing down to Satan, except those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, and we see this in, in Daniel... How many know that the whole world was required, everybody in that area was required to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar? So that's why the Bible uses Babylon, because there's a great precedent for this, that the whole world is being deceived 
and led. And how does she look? She looks pretty good, right? She's alluring. You haven't thought about this. She's arrayed purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones, pearls, and having a golden cup. Back in that day, that would be pretty impressive. In fact, the equivalent of that probably is pretty impressive today. If you had some equivalent, which I'm not a style person, so I couldn't tell you what that equivalent might be. I, I, I say khaki pants and a black shirt, but that's just me. But She was adorned with the very best you could wear, the most expensive clothing. Um, and so what I want to look at is, what was it like when they first went into Babylon? Because they were there for 70 years. And what did they run into? Well, the first thing they ran into was deception. How many remembered in Daniel chapter 1 when Daniel, uh, basically they went in three groups. The Babylonians took the wealthiest and the most educated of the young people, took them into the government palace to train them for government service. Um, so I want you to think about this. What if you're one of them? And I'm the best of the best this nation has to offer. A foreign nation comes in and you've been captured, taken to the palace, and you're going to be trained for government service. And here's what happens. The king, who is the king of all kings on the earth. How many know Nebuchadnezzar was the most glorious king the earth had ever seen, the Bible says? He's giving you the best of the best. The best food, the best drink. Everything a person could ever want. And so a lot of the people that went with Daniel did exactly what the king told them to do. They are very happy. And so this is what's going to happen in Babylon. There's going to be great deception that's going to be before you. you say, well, how do I get out of Babylon? Well, the first thing you need to know is there's going to be great deception in front of you. Daniel is an example of how to get out of Babylon. Daniel refused what was on the king's table. How many know that? He wouldn't take it. See, a lot of you don't think of Babylon this way. <laughs> a lot of you thought about Babylon, you thought, man, they were all really sad because they got taken captive. But here's the thing. When the captivity was over, most of them wouldn't come back to Israel. A very small number did. So why did they all stay? Second thing, Babylon was a place of prosperity. They actually have records that they found from the Persian kingdom when they were uh, their captivity was taken away. And they have documents that show the Jewish people mixed very well with the Babylonian people. They traded very well. They were bankers. They were loaning money. And they were very, very wealthy. And there's even some records that said, only the chaff go back to Jerusalem. The wheat stay here. That's a quote. So they were very prosperous. You wonder why a lot of them wouldn't come back. They were very prosperous. And you say, well, why are you saying all this? I'm saying all this because Babylon is going to be judged in the end. There's no future in Babylon. There's no future in this current world. There's no life uh, eternal for those who 
are part of this world system and the worldliness that goes along with it. But there are certain things you're going to run into Babylon. Remember, God said, I reared children and they left me. So I'm trying to tell you, how do you get out of Babylon? First thing, you need to know what you're up against. There's going to be deception like you've never seen in these last days. Babylonian worship, you could do whatever you wanted. That's the culture we live in. You say, well, I'll go to Canada. I'll go to Mexico. I'll go to China. I'll go to Russia. I'll go to a Muslim country. There's going to be great deception in this world system because the sat- Satan is controlling the world around you. And in order to get out of Babylon, you have to understand it's going to be deceptive. You know, the Word of God is your only way to understand what's going on around you, to have clarity, you know, to not be deceived. Prosperity. How many think that, you know, there are a lot of people that overcame sin but couldn't overcome prosperity. And Babylon offered great prosperity. Those people that went with Daniel prospered and got wealthy because Nebuchadnezzar had to have native people rule each of the nations that he uh, was a king over. In fact, the Persians did it the same way. They, uh, they raised up native people to rule their own people. And so a lot of people became wealthy, and that's why so many turned their back on God. And I'm telling you today, it's not any different. Uh, Moses, it says, refused to turn his back on God. It said he was offered all of the wealth of this world and he refused it because he wanted to follow God. And so you're going to be offered things in this world. You know, the world is going to offer all of this prosperity and all these things. And uh, uh, the second, in fact, the third thing I have on here is it's a place of power. How many know that Daniel was offered great power? Daniel rejected those things. In fact, that's how he ends up in prison, okay? God ends up blessing him, but he rejected a lot of the things that was offered to him in Babylon. And how many know this world system that's around us, you're going to be asked to reject God in order to be promoted? I'm just telling you what Babylon's going to be like. And like I said, God just gave me this message this morning. How about corruption? They, they had, were very specific, the Jews, in how they worship their God. How many know that the world around us, just like the nation of Babylon, is going to corrupt? You say, well, what did Babylon have to offer to corrupt them? All of the ancient pagan mystery religions were being thrown at the Israelites. They had a history all the way back to Nimrod. And those pagan religions were being thrown at them. And some remained faithful and got out of Babylon, but some got pulled in and never came out. They got swallowed up by Babylon. 
How many think that we have a danger of being swallowed up ourselves by the culture that's around us? I'm talking about how to get out of Babylon. You know, because it's not so clear because it's not geography. It's not physical. It's spiritual deception. It's spiritual. It's prosperity. It's all these things that are fighting against you that you don't see. Okay? Babylon was a place of confusion. Let me know their actual name meant confusion. And how many know if you don't have God and His Word, how many know that you're going to be very confused? You're just not going to know what's right, what's wrong. You're not going to have any true, like, what is truth? What's true? What's false? What's right? What's wrong? And Babylon is a place of real confusion. Now, I want you to think, and God gave me this scripture, Psalm 137. There's a difference between when they got there and when they've been there for 70 years. Think about this. Lord was really heavy on my heart with this one. How long were they there? 70 years. And Lord was kind of impressed upon me. That's the length of a lifetime. And how many you know you don't feel the same way about the world when you've been there for a little while? When you've experienced life for a little while and you've gotten a little older and you've ran after the things of this world, Sometimes you just start to think different. And listen to this. We don't know what stage this is at, but we know it's toward the end. And it says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we cried. When we remembered Zion. There on the willow trees, we hung our harps. There our captors asked us to sing songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we said, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we are in this foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So here's what's happening They've been in the world for a while. And they're starting to recognize that this isn't everything that I thought it was. They're remembering what home is all about. They're realizing that what has this world actually gave me? What has this world actually done for me? How many know that this world will always let you down? This world will always disappoint? If your hope is in this world, how many know that you don't have any hope? And after you've been in the world for a while, you start to act like these people. What's the first thing they did? They sat down and they cried. And God was just birthing this in the morning. I said, God, how do we get them out of Babylon? Babylon has an allurement to it. Who doesn't want to do what they want to do? Who doesn't want to, you know, take care of self, 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 me, me, me? There's an allurement to the world. 
Who wants to worship God? Who wants to love God? Who wants to have their hope in something in the future? Why can't I have everything now, everything I want, everything in this world? But after you've been there for a while and you've cried for a while, and you've been disappointed for a while, and you've been shattered for a while, and you've been broken for a while, and Babylon's used you up for a while. In fact, I've got a friend, uh, he's been... We were 17, very good athlete. We played football together. And um, he got in an accident at 17 and was paralyzed from the neck down. And he's been a paraplegic since 17. He's the same age as me now, 51. And uh, we will sit and talk. And he started serving the Lord almost the same year I did. He said, Chad, I am so ready. Man, I'm so ready. I'm so ready to be with the Lord. So I just can't wait. And he said, I, man, I, I think all the time, what am I going to do first? And I said, well, what are you going to do? And, 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 and he said, you'll never guess. And, you know, I thought, well, man, he liked to wrestle. He liked to lift. He liked to play football. He liked to run. I, I bet he's going to say, run around, jump around. He said, when I get there, he said, I'm going to serve everybody. He said, you'll never see a guy that serves people like I do. He said, because I've been served my whole life. And he said, I will be serving people. Met with a guy last Sunday who was about to die. His blood pressure has been 40 over forty over 30. Uh, they don't know how he's still alive. He wanted to watch the Super Bowl for the last time. And I, over the years, have spent a lot of time talking to him. You know, I would go every day and sit with him. And back then, he was fighting for his life a lot of times. And uh, never really talked as much about heaven. And But now, um, I went there after church last week, and he was getting ready for the Super Bowl, and a bunch of family was around. And, and I was looking for a chance to be alone with him. I was just hoping for the chance. And, and everybody was in the room, and he said, Chad... I want you to know I'm ready, man. I'm ready to go. He said, I'm so excited. I can't wait. And he said, and I said, well, what what happened? I said, said, that's why I'm here. He goes, I know it. I know that's why you're here. I said, I've been looking for a chance to ask you and make sure positively that you're ready to go. And he said, you know what happened? He said, I was sitting one day and I smelled my mother's potatoes. He said, every day at lunch, we could go home. And every day, exactly timed right, she had potatoes cooking in a skillet. And he said, I could actually smell them. How many of you know sometimes you sit on the riverbank and you just weep because you're just ready to be with the Lord? You long to be back in Zion. And, and the old song says, I'm longing for a place that I've never been before. And the Bible says that um, when hope is deferred, meaning when you can't get what you want now, <laughs> it makes you, your heart sick. And how many know they sat on the riverbank and cried? I think part of it was because they'd wasted their life in Babylon and they realized God... Why are we here? 
Why did we want Babylon? Why did we want the world? Why did we want to be used up like this? Why did we do this to you, Lord? Remember, they forgot him. They forgot all about him. They, and there they were crying on the riverbank. And you know, the second thing they said on the riverbank was, we remembered Zion, we remembered home. I hope there's never a day that I live on this earth that I do not think about my home. If I didn't have a home that I was heading towards, and it could be tomorrow, Ryan, we talk about it all the time, it could be tomorrow. And you say, well, man, that's so sad. That's not sad. That's It's sad that it's we have to wait so long. When you got real hope, you got the real joy of home and the joy of heaven. When Zion is in your heart and that's all you can think about, who cares about Babylon? Who cares about this world? I've seen enough. 70 years. I'm not 70 yet, but 70 years. I've seen enough of Babylon. I've seen all I need to see of this place. And they were longing for Zion. They were I could just see them on that riverbank. And they're captors. The next thing, they're captors, they're tormentors. They sing a little song, dance a little dance. They were toying with them, mocking them, making fun of them. Kind of like Samson. They put him on the stone and they said, you know, do some mighty feat, some mighty strength. They mocked him, they put his eyes out. See, that's how the world the world is, you know. They knew that the world really didn't care about them. It took them 70 years to figure it out. I hope we figure it out a lot sooner. <clears throat> but they were longing for Zion. And I told uh, Smokey when we were sitting there the other day, I said, Chad, I'm, he goes, I'm just so ready. He said, I can see all the people that I love that know the Lord. And I said, Smokey, I said, that's his name. I said, there's sometimes in life where everybody you know is on this side of the Jordan and everybody you care about is on this side. Then all of a sudden you start seeing them all accumulate on the other side. And after 70 years... There's a lot of people over there waiting for us. And there comes a point where you have more desire to be on the other side than you do to be on this side. And I'm telling you, that's what they were feeling when they were on that bank. They were remembering Zion. And every day we've got to remember all about it. Said we hung our harps up. In the trees. You know what that means? They were given up. They were done. They said we can't sing these songs of joy. As long as we're here. (laughs) We can't sing songs of joy as long as we're here. We want to go home. We want to go home, we want to go home, we want to go home. And the picture the Lord showed me this morning was, you know, when I was studying probably 25 years ago, I was studying uh, Song of Solomon doing some uh, ministry courses. 
And something I didn't realize was just awakened in me. I've never really liked Song of Solomon. I really haven't because I've never particularly liked Solomon. I didn't like the things that he did that God wasn't happy with. I didn't, you know, God was furious. In fact, took his kingdom away because of his multiple wives and his harem. And I wasn't a big fan of him. I didn't like the way he behaved in a lot of ways. I liked the way that God ended up using him. And God ended up changing his life in the end. But I didn't like some of the things he did in between. And I was reading that book and it was like, it said this is the most misunderstood book in the Bible. That's interesting because everybody teaches it that Solomon is the one in love with the girl and the girl's one that she loves is Solomon. But they said the proper interpretation most likely is that these are broken up into scenes. It's written almost like scenes. And so in the first scene, Solomon has his entourage there, his government officials, military leaders. You guys have seen this in the government when they have these great big meetings. And so he is in his wealthy estate in all of the finest chariots, the finest clothing. In fact, they really paint a picture in Song of Solomon of how grand it is. And there's this poor, beautiful girl. And she's there, and it's almost as if they kidnap her. And she is in love with a shepherd. In fact, it insinuates that he's poor. And she's poor. And she's swept off of her feet by Solomon. He puts her in his harem. He said, well, man, what's this have to do with Babylon? The reason it's the greatest love story that's ever told is because Solomon has a whole harem of women that think Solomon is the greatest thing ever. They All they talk about is how great Solomon is, how wonderful Solomon is. All of the splendor of his throne and the way he dresses and the way he looks and how intelligent he is and all the incredible chariots that he drives. You know, for today that's like cars, you know. But she still misses her shepherd. It can't be the same person. This shepherd is actually running through the palace, jumping up and down trying to look in the windows for her. She is leaving at night, running through the streets trying to find him. She is so in love with that shepherd, this poor Shepherd, who she's in love with, she talks about how they would go out in the countryside and how they would spend time together and how much they loved each other. And Solomon realized in the Song of Solomon that there's nothing that can draw that girl away from that shepherd. That's the one girl Solomon could not win her heart because she was in love with the shepherd. <laughs> And that's why that so- that song is so amazing. Because Solomon is writing a play almost about how she had no interest in him because she was so 
and love with Him. And so my question to the Lord was, how do you get out of Babylon? When you got all this allurement and all this draw and all this, and Ryan, you can come on up, all this um, stuff trying to draw you away from God. I mean, you notice everything is trying to draw us away from intimacy with the Lord, loving the Lord. I mean, you know, we don't obey the Lord because a book says it and we've got to follow the book. We do it because we love Him. We worship the Lord because we love Him. We adore Him. We want to spend time with Him. And and I said, Lord, how do I tell them to get out of Babylon? And he said, just tell them to love me. And I could just see that person who loves God and at one time loved God. I could see like that girl. Finally, they finally released her from the palace. They knew that she had no interest in Solomon. And I could just see that girl coming out of that palace, running as fast as she can, him running as fast as he can run, And I could see running into his arms because the riches of his love will always be enough. And can I tell you, the only way out of Babylon is that. To love the Lord so much that God, I don't want anything this world has to offer. I don't want anything this palace has to offer. I don't want anything. You know, Satan is the God of this world. He's like Solomon was. He has all this he tries to throw at us. But man, if you'll say, God, I love you so much. All I want is you. And how many know we're almost there? We're almost there. You say, well, Chad, it might be 20 years. 20 years I'm going to have the richest inheritance in the world. (laughs) Okay? 20 years I'm going to have no death, no sorrow, no sickness. I'm not going to be living in the world that we live in. It won't be long. You say, well, Chad, I'm old. You're so much closer than everybody else. Say, Chad, I'm sick. You're so much closer to being with the Lord. Do not hang your harp up on the limb and say, we're done. We can't sing a song of joy. Because if they were on that bank and they knew it was almost time to go home, (laughs) they wouldn't have been crying. (laughs) And I'm telling you today, my message today is run to Him. Run to him, run to him, run to him. One of the things in that revival that excited me so much at Asbury, you know what that thing's all about? Worship songs and an open altar. Continuously open altar. And I'm just saying, run to him. Say, well, don't I have to meet with you? No, you don't don't meet with me. I'll be in your way. Run to him. Run to him. The riches of his love will always be enough. Run to Him. Love Him. Reject this world. Reject worldliness. You know, when He says, come out from her, He's saying, don't you love me? You don't want the world. Don't you love me? Come on. Come on. Get out from... I I don't want you to be a part of her judgment. Come on. Come with me. Come with me. But Lord, I've been used up by the world. Come to me. Come to me. I love you. Hurry up. Come on. Come on, before the judgment comes, I love you. Come on. Come on, quit running from me. Quit running from me. But God, I've been in the world. I don't care. Come on. 
Come on, I reared you. I raised you. I love you. You're my beloved. I'm yours. And God's just calling to us. In fact, I think he might be given one last call to this nation. I'm out. That's why a revival, I think, will be of love. Come love me. Is it going to change the world? No, Babylon will still be here until God destroys it. But he's calling people out of it. And come on, come on. Or it's too late, come on. Come on, can't you hear him calling you? He's calling you, it's not me. He's calling you. This altar is open. Find a place, find a place at your seat. Just love him, that's all he wants. Church has gotten too complicated. I told you it's simple. Not always easy, but it's simple. Just love me, God says. I'll forgive you. I'll heal you. I'll love you. But I've sinned. I don't care. I've died for you to forgive you. Come to me. Come on. Find you a place to pray. If you need prayer, I'll pray with you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I just feel like the Lord wants you to... Um, I was thinking about them on that riverbank. They were uh, thinking about Zion. And, and um, some of my best prayer times... You say, well, man, what's prayer? Is that like a whole list of things that I want God to do and things that God needs to pay attention to. No, sometimes it's just dreaming about Zion. Sometimes it's just dreaming. And um, have you ever been uh, raptured into His presence? I was just sitting right there worshiping. And I was thinking about my, my buddy that I was talking to last Sunday. We were talking about a conversation his son was there, and he's fighting with some things, you know. And, and me and him were talking, you know, and, and he was telling me about when he was a kid and how much fun they used to have playing baseball in the neighborhood. And he said they were, he was laughing. He said there were two kids that were legally blind that would play. <laughs> he said they were terrible, but they had a certain set of rules where you couldn't hit him you couldn't <laughs> or you got penalized really heavily and he was laughing just belly laughing talking I said, I said man it is going to be just like that one day you know how much joy you had when you were a kid and it was innocent and you just played and played and played for hours not a care in the world and, and so I was just sitting there being raptured and so you, the rapture hadn't happened you know it happens if you have a good prayer life and prayer life's not work, and prayer life is dreaming about Zion. And I was thinking about my buddy Nick, who hasn't walked for, you know, 20, 30, how long has it been? 33 years, yeah. And I was just thinking about that first day for him. I'm going to tackle him when I see him. I'm going to tackle him and throw him to the ground, and we're going to have so much fun. I like to sit and dream about all the people that I want to see. 
You guys have anybody want to see there? <laughs> Hallelujah. I dream about Zion. You want to get out of Babylon? Dream about the Lord. Dream about Zion. Dream about the promises that He gives us. Because if you don't, you'll get trapped in this world. And this world will be your only hope. This world will be your only thing that you have to be happy about. And there's nothing, there's not enough happiness in this realm to live a good life. We got to have something more. We got to be connected to heaven, you know, and be ready to be there. And then just live what time we have left to the best of our ability and say, Lord, Man, I want to be with you. How many want to be with the Lord? I, I just want to be with the Lord. I want to do everything I can on this earth, but man, I'm so excited to be with the Lord. I love Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, bless your people, Lord. Lord, let them dream again, Lord. Lord, let them run to you, Lord. Fast as they can run into your arms, Lord. Lord, speak over them, dance over them, love over them. Take joy in them, Lord God. Speak good things to their ears. Hug them, kiss them, Lord. Fill them, Lord, full of your joy and your love. In your name I pray, Lord God. Do it today. Hallelujah.